But Psalm 90 verse number 8 says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, and our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Notice that phrase, our secret sins. And that's the title of my message today. Secret sins. Heavenly Father, I pray as we look into your word this morning that you would give us wisdom and understanding. I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and with you and with each other. And that we would be humble enough to confess our sin. That we might be cleansed and enjoy a right fellowship with you. That our lives would bring you the glory you deserve. And that we would receive the joy and the satisfaction that you want us to have. That comes by living a holy and a righteous life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an expression that goes something like this. What you don't know won't hurt you. That's absolutely false. What you do not know can be very hurtful to you. That's true physically. An unknown cancer can kill you. But it's also true spiritually because unknown sin can cause you to lose the joy of the Christian life, to be frustrated and exhausted spiritually, and it can lead to worse sins and worse consequences. And the Bible refers to these unknown sins as secret sins, here in Psalm 90 and verse number 8. Secret sins may be sins that you know of, but you're hiding from others. They could also be sins that you are yet unaware of in your life, but they are still sins. And James 1.15 tells us that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin has consequences, devastating consequences, that you and I do not want to pay even secret sins. What we need to do is be honest. We need to be honest about our sin. And we need to be humble enough to confess our sins or else our secret sins will devastate our lives. This message this morning is what you would call a topical message. We're not going to be looking at just one passage of Scripture and taking it apart, which is more my usual style, but we're going to be going to various passages of Scripture to consider this idea of secret sins. And I want to start by discussing from Scripture the kinds of secret sins that there are. And I want to give you two categories of secret sins to consider with me, and I'll give them to you and then we'll talk about them a little bit. The first category are intentional secret sins. The second category are unintentional secret sins. So we have intentional secret sins and we have unintentional secret sins. So first of all, what is an intentional secret sin? Well, this is probably the kind of secret sin that you would first think of when you hear the phrase secret sins. 
So this is the kind of thing where someone does something wrong, they sin, and then they hide it. They bury it. They ignore it. They sweep it under the rug, however you want to phrase it. It's a sin that the person who has committed the sin is absolutely aware of it, but they're trying to keep it a secret. Now, there are many examples of this kind of secret sin in the Bible. Some of you may already be thinking of a few. Let me give you a couple of obvious examples. Remember the story of Achan in the book of Joshua? In Joshua chapter 6, God told the children of Israel to go take Jericho. And that meant marching around the city once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day, yelling and the trump, blowing the trumpets and the walls would come down. And God said to the Israelites that they were to take nothing from the city of Jericho, that all of it was to be destroyed, none of it was for their personal profit. However, there was one man named Achan... The Bible says he saw some money, he saw some nice-looking clothes, and he took it and he hid it. You know, in the act of hiding it, it shows us that Achan knew what he did was wrong. It, or else why would he hide it? He took it and he hid it in the earth under his tent. And then shortly after that, Israel goes out for the next battle. They go to a town called Bethel, which should have been an easy victory for them. However, they were defeated. Well, this discouraged the entire nation and Joshua was broken and he gets before the Lord and he says, you know, Lord, why is this happening? And God tells him, get up, there is sin in the camp. That's a secret sin. It's a sin, he knew it was wrong, but Achan did it anyway, and then he tried to hide it. Another example would be the story of David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Most of you I know are familiar with the story. This is the incident where David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And what is the very first thing that he did when he realized that there were consequences for this sin that he wasn't going to be able to hide. Remember, she sent word and she said, I'm with child, I'm expecting. What did he do? He immediately began a cover-up. He, he called back her husband Uriah, uh, ostensibly to just give a report of the battle, but really the secret plan was to try to get him to go home so that maybe he would think this child was his. And there was this whole scheme that David was engaging in to try and cover up his sin. Well, that didn't work. So what did he do? He took it to the next level. He then had Uriah killed through this very thinly veiled uh, uh, plan and putting him in a, in a part of the battle where he was likely to be killed, and, and it worked. Uriah the Hittite was killed. And immediately David marries Bathsheba. What's he doing there? He's still trying to cover things up. He's still trying to make it look like this is legitimate when it wasn't. And it was almost a year later before Nathan the prophet confronted David for his sin. During that whole time, what was David doing? He was trying to keep his sin a secret. I thought of a New Testament example. The story of Judas. You ever thought about the fact that Judas 
all, I don't know if we can say all along, but for a good bit of the time that he was following Jesus, he was a hypocrite and a traitor. We know that, for instance, when he made that comment about how much the ointment could have been sold for, the Bible tells us he didn't really care about helping the poor with the money, but he was a thief and he was the keeper of the bag. In other words, he was the treasurer. He just, he just liked to be able to dip his hand in the till every once in a while. And isn't it curious that on the night before Jesus was crucified, when Jesus said, one of you shall betray me, nobody said, oh, it's going to be Judas. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> nobody knew that. Even when Jesus gave him that piece of bread and told him to go out and do what he was going to do, they all thought, oh, he must have told him to go buy something for the feast or help the poor or whatever it was. It was a secret. And it was not until he came into the garden with the soldiers to arrest Jesus and betrayed Jesus with that kiss on the cheek that his sin really came to light. It was a secret sin. These are all examples of intentional secret sins. And in just naming these, you understand how devastating those sins can be. Some people think it's okay as long as I don't get caught. We'll talk about whether or not you'll get caught in just a moment, but the fact is, whether you get caught or not has nothing to do with it. Sin is devastating. But there's another kind of intentional sin, or a, a secret sin, rather, that you should consider this morning, and it's these are unintentional secret sins. Now, I want to propose something to you. You may or may not have thought about this before, but you need to. It is possible for there to be sin in your life that you're not fully aware of. That's possible. There could be things that you are doing or not doing that you shouldn't be doing or you should be doing. And because these are sins of commission or omission, they are still sins even though you're not fully aware of it. Turn to Nehemiah uh, chapter 8. And I want to show you what I think is a, an example of a, a time when the nation of Israel was guilty of a secret sin unintentionally. But they realized it was a sin, and so they repented, they confessed, and they did something about it. And what I want you to see here is that it's not enough just to say, well, I didn't do it on purpose. Sometimes we sin and it's not on purpose, but it's still a sin. Sometimes we sin and we're not even aware that it's a sin, but it is and it needs to be pointed out and it needs to be dealt with. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we have a, the story of a great revival that took place under Nehemiah and Ezra. And we're not going to, for sake of time, read all of it, but I want to draw your attention to one verse, verse 17. For context, they had been listening to the Bible read and taught to them for some time. And they were hearing things and they were learning things that they were previously unaware of. They were gaining an understanding that they did not have before. And in verse 17, it talks about how the, all the congregation of them that were coming in out of captivity made booths and sat under booths. Now, pause there for a second. This is talking about keeping the Old Testament Festival of Tabernacles. This was a, a, an annual event that God had told the Israelites to observe to remind them of the time that they lived a nomadic lifestyle while wandering through the wilderness before they got into the Promised Land. So they had read that they were supposed to be doing this and they realized, we haven't been doing this. 
And they looked at their watches or their iPhones and saw the calendar and they said, we're supposed to be doing this right now. And so what did they do? They made the booths. They observed this feast, but, uh, this, this feast and the whole celebration around it. Notice the next phrase. For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. I doubt there was anybody alive at this point that had consciously decided... I am not going to observe the Feast of the Tabernacles. I know God said to do it, but I'm not going to. That wasn't the problem here. The problem was they were so far removed from the original events and there had been such a lack of instruction and communication of God's Word that they didn't even know they were supposed to be doing it. And now they learned, we haven't been doing this for generations. We need to start. And so they did. Now, these are examples of secret sins, intentional and unintentional. But they're secret sins because they're not obvious. They're not out there where everybody else can see it. You know, if we had a little display on our forehead that would light up and just spell out our sin every time that it, it happened, every time we committed a sin, that would make it easy, wouldn't it? You can just look in the mirror and be like, oh, okay, that's what I did, and we can deal with that. But here's the thing. I can't look at your heart and know what sin is in your life. Now, you can do things that I can say are sinful. Okay, if you go to a convenience store and you hold up the clerk with a pistol and demand money, I can say, yeah, that's a sin. But if you're ungrateful in your heart, I can't necessarily see that. You know, if you're going places you shouldn't go or not going places you should go, I can look at that and I can say, you know, that's a sin for you to do that. But if you're showing up at church and you're just putting on a face, if it's all a facade, if you're just a big hypocrite, I can't necessarily see that. If you're faking it, if it's all just a pretense, I don't necessarily know. You know, you can have a conversation with me and with others, and you can, you can sound like a Christian who loves God and has got their act together, and, but secretly be indulging in things in the privacy of your own home. I can't see that. And the thing about secret sin is it's just as devastating and sometimes even more devastating than outward and open sin. And this morning, what we need to accept, first of all, is that there is such a thing as secret sins, and any one of us could be guilty of secret sins. So let's talk, number two, about the revealing of secret sins. The revealing of secret sins. Here's a principle that every one of us needs to be aware of. In fact, we need to have it ingrained into our thinking day in and day out. It just needs to become a part of our life. Here's the principle. Your sin will be found out. Numbers 32, 23. Some of you could probably quote it with me. Be sure your sin will find you out. It's amazing to me. I've met people who acted like they were the exception to that rule. 
Like, oh yeah, that's true for everybody else, but not me. I got this figured out. I know how to cover my tracks. I know how to erase the history. I know how to delete the messages. I know how to get the alibis. I know how to get around this. Yeah, everybody else, the reason they were found out, because quite frankly, they weren't real smart. But me, I got this. Now the truth is, your sin will be found out. Because God said so. Now, I might not find out about it. Your spouse not, might not find out about it. Your parents might not find out about it. Your friends might not find out about it. But there is a God in heaven who sees everything and who knows all that is in your heart, all that is in your mind, every action, every thought, every word. He knows it all. He sees it all. And the truth of the matter is, your sin will be found out because it already has been found out. God already knows. Now, what we really fear is exposure. And that's what we're trying to avoid. We're more concerned about, well, what if so-and-so finds out about this? What, what are they going to think about this? Rather than understanding that God already knows and God already has an opinion of it. We're more concerned about our image than we are about being righteous in our living in the sight of God. Principle is your sin will be found out. So let me talk for a moment about how that's going to happen. I see at least three ways in Scripture that God uses, and these usually work together to reveal our sin. Now there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is you can be a part of the process and the result will be much better for you. You can actively engage in the process of discovering your own secret sins so that you can be holy and righteous and it'll be far better for you. That's the good news. The bad news is if you rebel and you refuse, your sin will still be found out and it will be much worse. So let's notice these ways that God reveals our secret sins. First of all, secret sins can be revealed through our own heart searching. Through our own Heart searching. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This passage is about how to take part in the Lord's Supper in a proper manner. That's always a very solemn observation. When we remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior... Paul warns the believers about the importance of doing that with a proper attitude towards sin. And notice what he says in verse 28. It says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Before we take part in the Lord's Supper together, we're supposed to take a time to where we examine ourselves. The fancy term for it might be introspection but not in the worldly sense, in the spiritual, biblical sense, in which we honestly look at our lives to see, is there sin that I have not dealt with properly? And we need to do that regularly. How many of you are in the habit of washing your hands? Raise your hand. How many of you are like, no, I never wash your hand? We want to know. We want to know. Okay. All right. I didn't think so. All of us would say, yes, I washed my hands. That's a good idea. 
Have you ever stopped to think about how many times we wash our hands nowadays, even when they don't look dirty? Now, if I go out and I change the oil in the car and I come inside, it's pretty obvious I need to wash my hands. But like this afternoon, when I get home, I'm going to look down and my hands are probably not going to look much different than when I came here this morning. But you know what? I know I've been touching a lot of things, shaking hands with some of you. And so I'm like, i got to wash my hands. And you're thinking the same about me, right? It's not necessarily obvious. You can't see it, but you know that there could be something there. And so you wash your hands. And this process of examining yourself begins with the same kind of a mindset. I don't necessarily know of anything specific, but I need to examine myself. I need to see, is there any sin there that needs to be dealt with? Now, sometimes it's a very short process because immediately you think, is there any sin in my life? The Holy Spirit's like, boom, there it is. You know what it is. You may not even have to ask the question. It may be a situation where you know even now what your sin is, and you don't even have to ask. But sometimes, many times, it, it's something we must do consciously to stop and evaluate. Now, here's some important things about examining yourself. Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So there's a danger in examining yourself, and the danger is this. Your heart is so wicked, it could trick you into thinking it's okay when it's not. We'll say, well, how do we overcome that? How are we supposed to examine ourselves if a heart's so wicked it can't even examine itself? Well, Jeremiah 17.10 goes on to say, I, the Lord, try the heart. See, God knows what's in your heart. And examining yourself is where you cooperate with God to take an honest look at your heart. It's when you allow God to reveal to you the sin that may be in your life. You say, but I don't know of any sin. Exactly. Exactly. That's why you need the Lord to help you. But it requires for you to submit to Him. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Some people may think, well, the psalmist was just mounting a defense there, saying, God, look at my life. I'm perfect. I'm fine. I don't believe that's what the psalmist was saying. What the psalmist, I believe, was saying is this, Lord, as far as I know, there's no sin in my life, but I need you to show me for sure. I need you to reveal to me, to search me, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And I need you, Lord, to lead me in the way that's everlasting. So we need to search our hearts. And if we will allow God to work in our lives, and yes, I do believe we have to submit to that work, God will show us. God will bring sins to our mind that need to be dealt with properly. How does God reveal our secret sins? First of all, through our own heart searching. And I told you that a lot of these work together. So here's number two that God uses as a part of this process and the next. It's this, exposure to Scripture. How are our secret sins revealed? By exposure to Scripture. If you've been saved any length of time, have you ever noticed that when there's sin in your life and you know it and you've not been dealing with it properly, how hard it is to read your Bible? 
You ever notice that? If not, you, you pay attention to that. If you're going through a time where you're finding it difficult to stay in the Word of God on a regular basis, it's a pretty good indication that there may be sin in your life. Because the Word of God, according to Hebrews 4.12, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you know the Bible will tell you secrets about yourself that you didn't even know? That's what the Word of God does. It shows us what we're thinking. It shows us why we do what we do, even when we're not really even aware of it. It reveals secret things to us. And as we are exposed to the Word of God, whether it be through our own reading or whether it's through the public preaching and teaching of the Word of God, what we are going to see are God's expectations. And when we see those expectations, inevitably we will see that there are many times we don't meet those expectations. You know what you call that? Sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. And God uses His Word to reveal to us sin in our lives. Back in Nehemiah chapter 8, we read that verse that was talking about how they hadn't kept the festival of the tabernacles, the feast of the tabernacles. And they didn't even know it. How did they come to know that? Well, Nehemiah 8 verses 13 and 14 says this, And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests, the Levites, and the Ezra, the scribe, even, uh, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. How did they realize that they were sinning unintentionally? Exposure to Scripture. They saw it in the Bible and they were like, we're not doing that. If you truly want to be right with God, you have to be in God's Word. You, you, you can't separate the two. God reveals our secret sins by our own personal examination of ourself and by our exposure to the Scripture. But here's a third way, and again, there's a lot of overlap here, but the third way that God reveals our secret sin is this, confrontation by spiritual people. This is when someone who loves you, who cares about you, comes to you and says, I'm concerned about this that I see in your life. And you are confronted by someone about your sin. Now, honestly, none of us would enjoy that. Because at that moment, we feel so exposed and humiliated that what is our initial response? Bury it deeper. No, 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 that's, no, you're wrong. But I want to show you from some of these stories we've already seen and from some verses in the New Testament that this is absolutely biblical. You and I need to be confronted with our sin. Galatians 6 and verse number 1, I want to start with this verse. 
It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken with a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What is that verse talking about? It's talking about someone who's sinning. At this point, it's become public to some degree because others know about it. And those who are spiritual, indicating that they're walking with God, they're living righteously, they're not perfect, but they are mature Christians. They are to go to that person and seek restoration. They're to go to that person and say, this is wrong. We want to help you make it right. That's biblical. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul gave instructions to Timothy. And he told him that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patience, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. What is that talking about? It's talking about someone who was spiritual, helping another person who has sin in their life get it right. Now think about some of the stories we mentioned. Think about the story of Achan. He took that stuff, he hid it, and there is no indication that anybody else knew about it until they went to fight at Bethel and there was that defeat and everybody knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what. So God told Joshua, there's sin in the camp, deal with it. So what does Joshua do? Well, he goes through this elaborate process, finding out who's at fault here. They separate the 12 tribes out. And through whatever way and method it was done, we're not told exactly how what one particular tribe was chosen. Happened to be Achan's tribe. Happened to be. Now right there, if I'm Achan, I'm getting nervous. I mean, there was, there was an 11 and 12 chance that I was not going to be, my tribe was not going to be picked. And all of a sudden, boom, my tribe's picked. Okay. You know what Achan could have done right then? He could have stopped right then. He could have come forward and said, Joshua, don't even go any further. I'm the one. I'm guilty. He could have confessed his sin, but he didn't. So they go through and they pick the families out and they pick the houses out. And at every layer, it's getting closer and closer to Achan. And at every layer, he could have stopped and said, no, it's me. Don't go any further. But he didn't until finally Achan was exposed. And what happened? He and his house were destroyed. I know that sounds harsh, but don't forget that 36 soldiers died because of Achan's sin. How many wives lost a husband in that? How many sons and daughters lost a father? How many brothers and sisters lost a brother? How many fathers and mothers lost a son? How many people? A whole nation was affected because of this man's sin. He would not reveal it, so God did. Again, the story of David. Almost a year goes by. And up to that point, David had not confessed his sin. Till Nathan the prophet comes in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and he tells David a little story about a poor man who had one little sheep and this sheep was more than, a, more than livestock. It was more than a pet even. It was like a daughter to this, little, this man. Next door there was a rich guy who had huge flocks. He'd care less about any one of his sheep. One day, the rich man had a visitor come, and rather than take one of his sheep, 
and slaughtering it to feed to his visitor, he went and he stole the poor man's one sheep and he fed it to his visitor. David was outraged. That's, that's terrible. That's awful. How cold, how callous could you be to do something like that? So you know what? That man's going to die. And then he's going to pay back sevenfold what he took. How are you going to do that if you're dead, David? You know? And then Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. He was confronted. And his sin was exposed. I think about the story of Judas. His sin was exposed as well. We know the end of the story, so it's not as big of a deal when we read it, but you put yourself in the, in the shoes of the other 11 apostles, and they didn't know what was going on until all of a sudden, that night before Jesus is crucified, here comes Judas with all the soldiers behind him. He walks up and he kisses Jesus on the cheek. Jesus said, Betrayest thou me with a kiss? And you know what? Right there, his sin was exposed. You know what happened as a result of that? He was so overcome with grief that he went and tried to give the money back, and they wouldn't even take it. The hypocrisy of those religious leaders, we can't take that, it's blood money. You gave it to him. And so what did he do? He went out and he hung himself. There's a principle in this, I think, that it is far better for us to willingly allow God to work in our hearts to bring our sin to light. It's far better for us to do that. It doesn't mean there won't be consequences, but it means that it will be far better for us if we will admit our sin instead of forcing God to confront us with it. God will patiently work with us in our own hearts. But there will come a time where all sin will be made known. I want to finish by discussing how do we recover from secret sins. If there's a secret sin in your life this morning, and it's one of these intentional ones that we've talked about, you know it's wrong, but you've been hiding it. You hope that you have been successful and that nobody else knows about it. But in your heart, you know this morning there's sin. Or maybe there's an unintentional sin, but the Holy Spirit has brought it to light and, and, and has revealed to you, this is wrong, you need to get it right. How do you deal with it? It's hidden right now, but what do we do with it so that we can be back in right fellowship with God? Well, turn with me to Psalm 51, and let's look at what King David did when his secret sin was revealed. Psalm 51 is one of two psalms that David wrote as confession psalms. Psalm 32 would be the other one. Psalm 51, perhaps a little more well-known. Look with me at verse number 1. David said, "'Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness.'" 
According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Notice that. The hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me give you four steps for dealing with secret sin. And this goes for all, all kinds of sin. Secret or otherwise, intentional, unintentional, doesn't matter. Four simple steps. And if, if I have shared this before. If you don't have this written down somewhere, I would encourage you to jot these, these four key words down. And how to deal with sin. Okay, first of all, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your sin. You could use the word admit if you want to, if that helps you remember it. Acknowledge your sin. What does David say in our text here? He said, for I acknowledge my transgressions, verse number three. Admit it. You know, that's often the stopping point when it comes to secret sins. We refuse to be honest about it. We excuse our sin. We call it by every other name but sin. And we don't acknowledge that whatever it is, it's more than just a shortcoming. It's more than just a personality trait. It's more than just a bad habit. It's a sin. Acknowledge it. Call it what it is. Don't live in delusion. I mean, the worst kind of deceit is when you deceive yourself. And what does 1 John say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Acknowledge your sin. Number two, agree with God about it. Agree with God about your sin. All right, you've called it sin. It is what it is. But are you on the same page with God about that sin yet? I'm always, always astounded by how David phrased this confession. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against Uriah? Didn't he sin against an entire nation? Yes. But David realized that his sin was first and foremost an offense to a holy and a righteous God. What he was saying, what he was doing was getting on the same page with God about his sin there. He's not downplaying it. He's not excusing it. He's not explaining it away. He's saying it's sin. It's offense against Almighty God. Acknowledge your sin. Agree with God about your sin. That's what we call confession right there. When you agree with God about your sin. Some people think of confession as when you go in that little wooden closet and talk to the guy on the other side of the screen, you know. Father, forgive me for I have sinned and you list all the bad things that you may or may not have done that week. That, no, 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 that's not biblical confession. That's the Catholic perversion of the idea of confession. Biblical confession, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Biblical confession is to literally say the same thing about our sin as God says. That's what the word itself, confess, means. To say the same thing. And we need to get in agreement with God about our sin. We need to be honest with ourselves. I've sinned. We need to be honest before God. It is sin, and it's bad. 
It was bad enough to put Jesus on the cross. You say, well, it's just a little thing. So I like to gossip a little bit. What's the big deal? The big deal is it put Jesus on the cross. You say, well, I like to look at some pictures that I probably shouldn't every once in a while. What's the big deal? The big deal is that the blood of Jesus was shed to save you from that sin. Well, I, I, I'm pretty good at pretending I'm a good Christian when I really know I'm not. What's the big deal? Nobody's being hurt by it. Yes, they are. You are. People close to you are. Your church is. Your family is. And it was sin that put Jesus on the cross. Agree with God about your sin. Confess it. And here's the wonderful thing. The Bible says when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And here's the third word in dealing with secret sins. Accept God's cleansing. I'm so glad we don't have to beg God for forgiveness. Some people have the idea, well, it was really bad, so I have to be really sorry. I have to, I have to you know, really bend over backwards and cry a whole bunch of tears. And, and I, I really have to feel bad enough for God to forgive me. Can I help you out this morning? You could never feel bad enough to earn forgiveness for anything. You say, but surely it was awful and, and I need to feel bad enough. That is not what brings forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness doesn't come from you or I feeling bad enough. Forgiveness comes when we confess our sin. And God says, because you have come in agreement with me about your sin, I forgive you. And what's up to us is just accept that. You know what that means? It means we don't have to live in guilt anymore. Oh, but I did this. Yeah, you did. But if you've confessed it, God's forgiven. Go on with your life. You may have to deal with some consequences. I'm not saying all of that's going to go away. But what I am saying is this. You have no reason to continue feeling guilty about it. That is nothing more than a ploy of Satan to keep Christians living in defeat. Accept God's cleansing. But here's number four. And I'm almost done, I promise. Number four, abandon that sin. I used to present this in a different order. And I don't believe it was the best order to present it at. I used to put abandon before accept, but I don't do that now. Because I don't want you to think that you have to do anything to earn God's forgiveness. You don't. It's by grace, through faith. Just like salvation, we are sanctified by grace through faith. But here's the thing. If you are truly repentant over your sin, there will be a desire in your heart to avoid it entirely and completely from here on out. That doesn't mean you will be perfect. It doesn't mean you will never fail. But there ought to be a desire in your heart to abandon that sin. And if you really want to deal with secret sins, you've got to get, them, got to get away from them. You have to abandon them. That might mean putting things in place in your life to prevent you from being able to go down that road again. It might mean setting up some accountability. It might mean setting up some filters on your devices. It might mean whatever it might mean, but take the necessary steps to get away from that sin. Because Proverbs tells us that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. That's secret sins. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Abandon that sin. 
So acknowledge it, agree with God about it, accept God's cleansing and abandon that sin. That's how you deal with secret sins. And when you do that, you can walk in right fellowship with God again. I was thinking about this idea of secret sins. And something came to my mind that happened even before I was born. It's a long time ago. How many of you, if I, when I say Watergate, you immediately know what I'm talking about? All right? How many of you are like, no, but I'm going to Google that? Okay. <laughs> Back in the 1970s, there was a huge scandal in the Nixon administration. Because somebody broke into the offices of the Democratic National Committee in Washington, D.C., trying to steal information and plant listening devices. And it was found out that that crime was perpetrated by the members of the President's Re-Election Committee. And then it was further found out that the president himself was aware of it and at least to some extent authorized it. But what's interesting about Watergate is that the scandal really was not the one crime of breaking into the office. What became the huge scandal was the cover-up. For two years, the nation was drugged through this political drama, almost as bad as what we see today. And it ultimately ended with President Nixon resigning before the Senate could try him and remove him from the presidency. It was pretty much a done deal. The House had impeached him. It was going to the Senate, and they were pretty, it was pretty guaranteed they were going to, he was going to be found guilty and be removed from office. So he resigned. And what people began to say about that afterwards is that the cover-up was worse than the crime. And to this day, Watergate serves as kind of a prime example of political scandal and cover-up. Everything now is something-something-gate. You know, you hear that. You have this somewhat of a scandal. It's such-and-such-a-gate. Where did that come from? It came from Watergate. The cover-up was worse than the crime. Now, if the people that were guilty had fessed up from the beginning, would there have been consequences? Absolutely. But it would have been much better. The consequences would not have been as bad for them and for the whole nation. And I can't help but wonder how many of us are involved in our own Watergate scandals right now. There's sins in our life. There's crimes. We know it. But we're covering them up. And by covering them up, we're just making it worse. We need to deal with our secret sins. Acknowledge them. Agree with God about them. Accept God's cleansing. And abandon them. With heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, you have a question and I have a question that we each must answer. What will we do with our secret sins? What will we do with our secret sins? I hope that I have impressed upon you this truth at least today.
that it is far better to work with God to bring those sins to light and deal with them properly than it is to keep trying to hide them and you having to be exposed. So right now, you and I have an opportunity. We can go to God and we can open our hearts to Him and allow Him to examine us, to search us, to try us, to see if there be any wicked way in us. And as God brings something to our mind, right there we have a decision to make. Will I confess this? Will I admit it for what it is and agree with God about it so that I can accept God's cleansing? That's a decision you have to make. Maybe there are some in here that you already know what the secret sin is. You're at that point already. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to continue to try and hide it? Are you going to continue to try and bury it? It's not going to work out well for you. You need to deal with it.